Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, Thanksgiving at the end of the world. What a combination, yes? I'm thankful for many things. Maybe particularly thankful this morning that I feel like I am appropriately dressed for eschatology on Thanksgiving because I have eschatological socks and I'm very thankful for them. You know how hard it is to find eschatological socks? Uh, In fact, uh, I think they are significant enough that I'd like to uh, show them to you. How would we... Yeah, yeah, okay. Now I want to show you my... Don't ask me where I got them. I don't want you to go there. So these are really cool, okay? These are eschatological socks. (laughs) Seems sort of weird now that we're doing it, but okay. So eschatological socks, can you see those? (laughs) I don't want you to go there. In other words, I I don't want you to know the depths I had to go to to get those. Dr. Van, come on, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, but you see, um, last week my, my iPhone was stolen. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt. And when I think of these socks, it just makes me feel better that there's justice in this world. <laughs> hey, we're taking risks. As people of the future, we take risks. We are risking our lives now based on the future, believing that the best is yet to come. That's who we are. If our lives were a story, we are risking now in belief in a happy ending. But if our lives were a movie, we have hope. Because we've seen the previews, they're all around us, and they are good, good. Oh. When we talk eschatology, we typically talk signs or previews. How do we know when we look around that we are right to believe that the end of the world is coming and a better one will appear? Growing up, I sat under a lot of different teaching where charts were used to show where we were in terms of the historical timeline. And when the conversation turned to, okay, well, how do we know we are close to the end? How do we know we're close to the return of Jesus? Inevitably, the signs that were referred to were signs about the destruction of this world. So the idea was, you want to know how soon the Lord's return in? 
is? Well, then look, look at how the world seems to be on a crash on a crash course for absolute destruction, right? And so we'd look at the newspaper, or we'd look outside, we'd see wars, we'd hear rumors of wars, we'd talk about famine, earthquakes, moral decay. Can our morality sink any lower? Boy, Jesus will have to come soon, or else there'll be nothing left of us. Now, that's good teaching, because Jesus taught that. And in our video session this week, we'll unpack that, particularly as Jesus speaks from Matthew 24 about the signs around us that we should not put our hope in this world because this world is unstable and will eventually self-destruct. But Jesus also spoke about other signs, and on Thanksgiving, these are the signs I want to look at, signs not of destruction but construction. Signs that there is a future world coming, signs of that, rather than signs of the old on the way out. So let's come to the simplified chart that we've been using. The kingdom of this world. Uh, if you've been following the video sessions, another term for this, the Pauline term is uh, the age of Adam. So this is the historical timeline, and you notice that it comes to an end. The signs that we have just spoken about, the signs that are often raised in biblical prophecy conferences are signs that this world is going to end, yes? But it's going to end with hope because the kingdom of God, now the direct vertical line, the kingdom of God is going to replace it and at the moment of the end, the kingdom of God will come in its totality. Uh, Kingdom of God is a wonderful term to keep in the back of your mind as a summary of what we've been talking about when we talk about eschatology. Pastor Keith did a really nice job last week of looking at various elements of the coming of the kingdom. Uh, resurrection, uh, judgment, uh, reward and punishment. They are all aspects of the coming kingdom of God. For this kingdom to come, where God is the ruler and his will is done throughout the universe. Some things will need to be cleaned up. Justice will have to come into being, right? Kingdom of God. It's Jesus' primary term for the future. Think of the many parables. Think of them. The kingdom of God is like, right? And, it's, and it is very significant that Jesus taught us to pray about the kingdom. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on right. As it is in the kingdom of God. Here and there, everywhere. The reign of God. But the third arrow, the third line, of course, is this, is this strange little Christian twist <laughs> that in some way the, the hope for future is already occurring. In other words, somehow the future is starting to crash in on us now because the king who will someday bring in the kingdom in its fullness has already come once. And so when you look at this chart, 
I have put here the cross. It's been there since the beginning of the series. And this cross is a primary sign of construction of the kingdom of God. This is a positive sign. What Jesus suffered in the past means that we have hope for the future. So I want to talk about two signs this morning and start with this one. The number one sign that we know that a better world is coming, that, we, that our risk is carefully and wisely placed, is that salvation has already begun. Romans 5, chapter 9. Paul here is talking about how salvation has begun and how it will conclude. Begun and will conclude. Very eschatological way of looking at salvation. Notice this. Since we have now been justified, we just celebrated this moment a few moments ago and uh, let, us, let us through it beautifully, Pastor Jonathan. We've been justified, we've, we've been made right with God by his blood, crucifixion. Paul's saying since that has already happened, since we have already been justified, how much more shall we be saved? That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I know we tend to think of salvation as something that's already occurred, and it has. But thinking about salvation in the biblical sense, in an eschatological sense, means that it, it started and it is going to be completed on that day. You see, this, this terminology of God's wrath, uh, when we say we are saved, what are we saved from? Well, we're saved from God's wrath. Paul is saying we have not yet been saved from God's wrath because God's wrath will fall upon worthy recipients at the judgment. So what Paul is saying is, the sign of the cross and what Christ has done is pointing forward, and the best is yet to come. And we are confident of that future because we have already been justified. If I had read 510 to you, he would say, since we've already been reconciled. Again, relation, our relationship with God is set. So Paul is saying, if Jesus has done all of that, the last thing you need to worry about is that future day. If he's already done this much for you, will he not carry it on to completion? In other words, this should make no one nervous in this room. The intention of the text is to say, what's begun, what Jesus began, will be completed. And so salvation has begun, but it is yet to come in its fullness. Okay, good. Again, we'll talk, we'll talk more about this in the video session. This morning, though, I'm, I'm most interested in one other sign, and I don't think it's been raised in particular yet in this series, either on the platform or in the video sessions. Now's the time. Let's go back to the chart, please. We've added one other element. The cross is a sign of the future, that the future salvation has already begun, and the spirit is a sign of the future. Jesus made much of this in his teaching. In fact, just before he left them, as Luke tells us the story, Jesus says, what the Father promised, and here he's referring back to a prophecy given by Joel, what the Father promised, 
Joel, Joel has this, this prophetic word for the Israelites. He said, he said, I see a day when the Spirit will come on all flesh. Not just, not just the superstars. Not just the kings and the prophets, high priests. Joel said, I see a day, it's coming later, when the Spirit will come upon all flesh. So let's come to the end of Luke 24. This is the last thing that he says to him, as Luke says to them, as Luke recounts it for us. I am going. He's about to ascend to the Father. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. There it is, the Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. It's going to happen to you. This promise, Jesus said, will be fulfilled. It's the last days. This is the time. And so 120 took Jesus seriously, and they waited in Jerusalem. And they continued to wait until it was holiday weekend in Jerusalem, and people began to gather for Pentecost. Now, by the way, it just occurred to me in the morning service, that Pentecost is a wonderful thing to talk about today because Pentecost was a type of Thanksgiving celebration. Pentecost was when Jews gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. It was a Thanksgiving celebration. <laughs> Interesting, right? So, so they're gathered, 120 of them. The city's starting to fill up, and wouldn't you know it, on the day of Pentecost itself, the promised Holy Spirit comes upon the 120. And as the Spirit comes upon them, they respond physically to the coming of the Spirit. It's just interesting to me that there are times when the Spirit comes upon an individual that actually calls forth a bodily reaction. As if the Spirit is being embodied the Spirit comes upon them, the 120, and they begin to respond physically by praising God, but in, but in languages or tongues uh, that they did not know. A physical reaction to the Spirit, a sign that the Spirit had been given. <laughs> so a crowd gathers, <laughs> as you can imagine, and they're wondering what all the ruckus is, right? We're in Acts chapter 2. And Peter stands up in front of this, what could have turned into a potential mob, because they're not there to get a sermon about Jesus. <laughs> they're in town for the feast. It's celebration time. It's a holiday weekend. And Peter says, you know what this is? Hey, I hear, I hear this drunkenness remark, and if Peter, had, Peter might have said, uh, you folks might be the ones that are drunk, not us. I'll say, I'll tell you what this is. This is the promise. It's happened. You're seeing it. Here's what he says in 2.17. As Peter begins to address them, he says, you know what this is? The promise that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. In other words, it'll no longer just be for men. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The spirit will not just come to people of experience, but people who are just starting out. 
And if I had carried on the verse, it would say, even on my servants. Joel said, I see a day when the Spirit will come upon people of whatever social class. Powerful promise. And Peter says, this is it. This is what you're hearing. This was a primary sign to the New Testament community that they were in the last days because (laughs) it couldn't be much clearer. And no group in church history has taken this line and what follows more seriously. Not saying we're the only ones that have taken it seriously, but no group has taken this more seriously than the Pentecostal tradition, which is just a little over 100 years. And this church is part of the Pentecostal tradition. No tradition has taken this more seriously. The Pentecostals latched onto it. And I want to talk about it and illustrate it with some early Canadian Pentecostal newsletters. Okay, brief bit of context. In the early 1900s, Pentecostalism the beginning of the movement that this church is a part of, starts to appear by God's sovereign design and timing in different places around the earth. In Canada, it starts in Toronto in 1906 in November at a home established by two missionaries from the UK, James and Ellen Hebden, who came to Toronto because they were people of holiness and they wanted to see people healed, but they were not Pentecostals. They came here to do something else and Pentecost occurred to them as they were waiting on the Lord. What they called that newsletter will now make great sense to you. Here is the title of the newsletter from the first Canadian Pentecostal work, The Promise. May 1907, started in November, Within a couple of months, they put out their first newsletter. Look, the title is self-explanatory, right? Their, their eschatological sensibilities were, were so charged that when they thought about what God had done, all they could say is, this is it. It's the last days. The promise. Uh, let's go to Winnipeg, 1908. Starts in Winnipeg shortly thereafter. A.H. Argue. Uh, some of you might know that name. Argue called his newsletter, this might be the only copy, Uh, this one says uh, February, March 1908, the apostolic messenger. Said, Dr. Van, how does that sound like future-oriented? Well, here's, here's what's behind it. The early Pentecostals take a look at Acts 2 and see the Spirit falling there and Peter saying, these are the last days. So, the first Pentecostals. Winnipeg congregation included, say, okay then. If the same thing is happening to us that happened to them, then we, in a sense, have become the modern-day representatives of what happened to the apostles. And you got to love, you got to love the last word here. We'll come back to it. They said, we are experiencing what the apostles did and we have a message to give. This newsletter is the apostolic messenger. Okay, good. Ottawa, a little bit later, R.E. McAllister. Good report. Uh, This is a later edition. The earliest one was 1911. The good report. 
How is this eschatological? This is filled with testimonies of what had happened when the Spirit fell upon the believers in and around Ottawa. In other words, they were seeing signs that the Spirit had come because people were being saved and sanctified and healed and Spirit baptized. In other words, this is a Thanksgiving newsletter. Excuse me. This was a Thanksgiving newsletter that said, it's happening. Okay? Now, there were, there were three primary convictions Pentecostals had about the last days, and I want to now illustrate them by content that's in these newsletters. Sound okay? First of all, they were convinced it was the last days. Since the Spirit had come, it was the last days. And the way the Pentecostals sometimes said it was, said it was this way. If Peter could say, in the last days, then this must be the last of the last days. Get ready. Jesus is coming soon. Something wonderful is happening. <laughs> okay. So I, I brought a copy of uh, the, the newsletter from Toronto. And uh, not the original, of course, but uh, put a copy. And Ellen and James Hebden. By the way, uh, when you think of Canadian Pentecostalism, think of a woman. Um, Ellen and James, but Ellen is very much the leader of this Pentecostal revival. Which makes really good Pentecostal sense, doesn't it? If you really do believe that the Spirit has come upon sons and daughters, there should be some daughters taking leadership. So Ellen describes, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this, sorry, can you, sorry, a little hard to see, is that, that better? Um, a lot of this is her testimony of what happened. And then she's printing some testimonies of what happened when other people experienced it and they sent their letters in. She said that the Lord often gave her uh, a prophetic word. And she prints one of them in this newsletter. And she puts it right at the end, so it'll be easy for me to find here in a moment. But she puts it right at the end, which is really interesting to me because what she's trying to say is, look, all these things are happening. Now, hear this word of the Lord. Okay, so, right, okay? Here it is. I found it. I went to dark Gethsemane. The Father heard me pray. And when I shed my precious blood, the Son was hid away. I soon shall be returning to fetch my precious bride. And then amid great glory, I'll place her by my side. Right. First stanza, the cross. Second stanza, he's coming again. What Ellen wanted to know, wanted everybody to know who saw this, was that they thought what was happening meant it was the last days. The, the second conviction I'd like to illustrate from these newsletters, and we'll go to Ottawa now, Second conviction from Ottawa, or second conviction about Pentecostals was this. That since the Spirit had fallen on them, they were the people of the last days. Uh, this, this series has been uh, exciting for me. Uh, I, I think about it every day. Pastor Jonathan, uh, thank you in particular on this Thanksgiving Day. Thanks, it's very appropriate. For, uh, for allowing me to be part of such a great process. Because this process is exploring how important eschatology is in the broadest sense and how important it is to us in 
the tradition that this church represents. In other words, this represents the DNA of, of our movement. This second conviction was, so I remember walking out on the platform. I remember it. I remember it. I just, I just buttoned my jacket. When I button my jacket, it's a sign that I'm supposed to start. It's my own particular sign. Done it for years. This means, okay, man, pay attention. Wake up. I remember saying to you that this series on eschatology would be extremely practical, and I meant this particular point. The early Pentecostals took it to be the case that they knew they were living in the last days because the sign of the Spirit had actually fallen on them and they were experiencing it. In other words, they considered themselves people of the last days. Not just people who were observing it, but people who were actually experiencing it. The Spirit had actually come upon them. What they meant was, as the Spirit's coming is a general sign that we are in the last days, the Spirit's work in the community of believers, the Spirit's work, reveal various signs. And so in these, in these uh, early newsletters, you, you hear about the wonderful works of God that was happening as Jesus was again healing by his Spirit, right? We'll talk about healing in a moment. People were giving prophecies. People were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what this did for them was to make them feel like they were actually experiencing the future, not just observing it. So I've got a quote here from R.E. McAllister. Is it any wonder that those who are baptized in the Holy Ghost look for Jesus to come? He said, with all that's happening in and around Ottawa, is it any surprise that we think he's close? Uh, this one line resonates with me because this is the way I was raised. This, this, is the, this is what Pentecost meant to me as a kid. My, my dad was a pastor in Montreal, uh, Verdun and then LaSalle, like Scarborough is to Toronto, Verdun and LaSalle was to Montreal. Every Sunday night service, every Sunday night service ended up in the prayer room basement of the church. And the majority of us, every Sunday night, would go downstairs and there'd be chairs set up and aisles and, and some would walk and pray and others would sit and read a little bit. Others would kneel and call out to God. I remember the sounds. I remember the sounds of it. People praying. I remember the sounds. I remember people leading a song here and there, and then we'd pray some more. I remember people calling out for unsaved loved ones and neighbors. And I remember the sounds. You know what I remember most? The feeling. The feeling. Now, if you haven't experienced this, I don't know if I can explain it, but the feeling that Jesus was right there. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. All things are possible. Jesus is here. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. If Jesus had returned and walked into that basement prayer room while we were praying, we would have been delighted. But none of us would have been surprised. 
Uh, if you don't know me, uh, I, uh, this, this platform in some ways is a second home to me. I, uh, over the last three decades, I have spent many Sundays on this platform leading worship. And I recall moments standing here. Big pulpit back here back in the day, so I'd be back around here. <laughs> I remember many days stepping back even, just thinking, oh Lord, do I sense your presence now? Oh Lord, I don't want to move. I don't want to say the wrong thing. This is something that only you can do. There have been moments in worship when I felt I was right there. You know what I mean? That was my upbringing in Pentecost. That to me was the primary sign that Jesus was coming soon. Not what I saw on a chart, though the charts were very helpful. Not what I saw on a chart, but I'd already experienced the presence of the Lord in my heart. There's a gentleman that writes into Ottawa on the Good Report, uh, Murphy, and uh, in, in a fairly long testimony, of which I've clipped a bit, he says, um, you know, I've been saved. I've been sanctified. And that meant to him, uh, there was a moment where his heart no longer desired sin, but it had been, like, you know, shifted towards God. He said, I've been healed. And uh, he says, I've been spirit baptized. I've spoken in tongues. Is the sign of it. And he, and he gets to the end of the testimony and he says this. Now I believe. See, confirmation, right? Signs. Now I believe in the deity and precious blood of Jesus an affirmation of what Jesus has already done. A real hell. How serious all this is. Time is short. And the soon coming of Jesus to reign. He said, the Lord has done so many things to me, it has just made it clear to me again that this is it. Let's talk about the sign of healing. It's one of the four that Murphy said that he experienced. And I think it's really helpful to us as we think about healing, to think about healing from an eschatological point of view, because I think it will help us with, with an issue some of us have had as to why certain people get healed and other people don't seem to get healed. And I think an eschatological view of healing as a sign of the future helps us in doing that. Now first, let me just say that healing is much broader than what happens to your limb or your arm or your heart. Everyone in this room or those on the line right now who, who have become a follower of Jesus, who have received the spirit that comes when we receive Jesus, have had some sort of healing. Uh, you think of the mental healing that many of us have in this room now, where, the, where there was guilt and turmoil and distress. We met Jesus, and it was just as if the weight of the world just, right? Thinking clearly for the first time. And the emotions that surrounded that event and how this relationship healed affected these relationships. And healing occurred with, with family and maybe even a spouse and, right? Parents and sons and daughters. 
maybe even in your neighborhood, maybe at work, and you experienced an emotional healing. Look, everybody that's met Jesus has experienced healing. And some of us in this room, a significant number of us in this room have also experienced physical healing. And that's where we often tend to focus. I think we do so a little too quickly because it's just another sign of the greater healing work of Jesus, but nevertheless, it's significant to us. For the early Pentecostal, every time someone was healed, it was an encouragement to the whole church that God was still doing his work, that Jesus was coming soon. And of course, it was an encouragement to that individual, right? But to their credit, folks, they understood the difference between healing as a sign as opposed to healing as a right. What I think they, they thought that was particularly good about healing was that it's a sign of that day when we will be completely healed. Signs point to something else. Even healing points to something else. Every healing that we have in the body of Christ, and again, many have been healed in this room. Every healing we've had in the body of Christ is a reminder, is a reminder of the full and complete healing we will have in the future. It's an encouragement to us. But let's not get confused and think it's our right to have healing because that's just not going to stand up when you start looking at the ministry of Jesus, for instance. Yes, we have a right to be healed. We're a little early, though. Everyone that Jesus healed died of something else. There are no Lazaruses walking around to this day that we could Skype in. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and then he died. It's usually you only die once. Lazarus dies twice. Well, why did Jesus even bother? Are you kidding? This was a sign of the future. This is what drew people's attention. This is what got people thinking. Maybe there is a power greater standing right in front of me, a power greater than my sickness and a power greater than my death. Maybe the kingdom he is talking about is really a kingdom of freedom from sickness and death. So then... Every healing that has occurred in this room has been a sign. And let's not get, our, you know, get ourselves all tied up in knots. Well, you did that for that person. I'm going to stand on the promises. Look, God, by his grace, gives us many things. And we are so thankful for it. But don't get thinking that healing is anything more than a wonderful sign of encouragement of what he is going to do later. Hallelujah. Well, that was good. <laughs> oh, just, oh, you know, Stu Mulligan. That was, that was a Stu Mulligan homage. You know, remember how he used to preach here back in the day? He'd stop in his preaching. And he'd turn around to me and say, oh, man, that's good preaching, isn't it? Like right in the middle of his sermon. 
That was just a tribute to Stu Mulligan. Yeah, there you go. Uh, because the Spirit had fallen, it's the last days, because the Spirit had fallen on them, they were experiencing the last days, right? So the early Pentecostal community and Agent Court Church, we, we are not just seeing the previews anymore, we are the previews. When, when people see, see our lives touched by God, they are seeing a preview of the future. We're not just watching them anymore. We're experiencing the Spirit. We are the previews. And as we look at one another on a Sunday morning, there's encouragement that happens because we know it's not just us. It's happening with others. We see signs of construction of the kingdom, and you are the construction signs. Beware. Construction. Absolutely. Beware of what God has done. Hear what he's doing. It's not a sign of destruction. It's a sign of construction. Okay, third thing. They believed because they were people of the last days, they had to do something about it. They had to tell somebody. This is one of the things that our movement has been known for. It's, it's, it's in the DNA of the Pentecostal tradition that when the Lord allows us to experience the future, we have just been in church history some of the best. Look, every denomination has its advantages and disadvantages. And if you're not Pentecostal and you wonder why I keep talking about it, well, it's my tradition. It's Thanksgiving. and We're going to talk about it. But, you know, I'm not saying Pentecostals are the only, only good denomination. God raises up different denominations when something needs to be done, and God raised us up because something needed to be done. And for us, it's to receive again the things of the Spirit and tell people about it. The third thing that Pentecostals were really good at was realizing that as people of the last days, they had to tell people apostolic messenger. They knew, look, they knew that the Spirit coming was not just for their own blessing. Pentecostalism did not spread around the world because Pentecostals stayed in their churches and prayer rooms and only experienced the power of God there. Pentecostalism has become a global movement in various forms under various names because the first Pentecostals took what had happened in the prayer room or when people were worshiping and told other people about it. That's how it spread. Folks, this is a denominational specialty. And it goes all the way back to Toronto, 651 Queen Street East. Did I tell you the building's still there? Ellen is getting close to the end of her testimony right here in the middle two pages. And she is reflecting on the, the signs of the Spirit. Well, I can't make the point any better than she does. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. The gift of tongues was God's gift to me, and as such I value it, for everything which God bestows is good. But I shall never cease to praise him for the flood of love which filled my whole being and melted me into tenderness and gave me such a yearning for souls as I've never had before. Are we still good at this? Look, look, I'm convinced we still have it in us. I just think we just have to keep practicing and not forget the skills that the Lord has given us. Uh, did I show you my eschatological socks when, uh, when I came out on the platform? 
I don't think you saw them. Well, not in the way that the sock maker intended them. Here's, here's a picture of my socks before I put them on this morning. What a difference a letter makes, yes? Say, Dr. Van, they're no longer eschatological socks. Oh, they're even better. Because, because what I feel that God has called me to do, as a Christian who grew up in a Pentecostal tradition is, to remind myself that when I head out the door, before I put on my shoes, that my role as a sign of the kingdom of God is not to go out and pronounce hell on everybody. Even the person who stole my iPhone. <laughs> but to say, hello. Jesus is sending the 72 out, not the 12 now, the 72. The 72, people like us. And he says, now look, when you go to a town, go door to door. And here's your opening line. Here's your, if you don't know what to say, say this. Peace to this house. But Jesus, don't you want us to discern what kind of house it is? The reputation of the people living there? Say hello. Boy, what a weight this takes off. You know, witnessing is difficult enough without having to decide who's worthy of it. That's really heavy, right? Like you look down your apartment row, that person's doing that, that person's doing that. That person loaned me something, okay, well. You look around the office cubicles, yeah, that person, that person, right? Like, what a weight it takes off of you when you realize your responsibility is not to determine who's worthy. And then he says, after you've offered them peace, show them what peace looks like. Show them the kingdom. Now, this may be a bit beyond us, but uh, we can do this. He says to the 72, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. He said healing will demonstrate that the kingdom of God has truly come. Notice the connection between healing and sign. <laughs> Couldn't be clearer. I've got to save myself a lot of time here this morning. Now, healing the sick may be a bit beyond you when you knock... <laughs> on a door or, or when you're invited in or you're sitting beside somebody on a bus. Maybe a little bit over the top. Though, you know, there may come moments where somebody, or just, you know, you say, look, can I just pray? But here's what we can do, and this is in our DNA. This is what we've always done well. When the moment comes, when the moment comes, just tell somebody, just tell somebody what God's done for you. Okay? So now, here's my particular challenge. And I'll commit to it if you will too. I'm not a natural born evangelist. I am not. I don't leave the house looking for opportunities to evangelize. Evangelists do. But I always want to be ready as I'm doing what I feel God's called me to do, to be ready. So how about in the next week, between now and next week, we decide we're just going to be ready. And we're going to polish off a skill that the Lord has given to us as people who have the Spirit. And if something comes up at a table that you're going to sit around this weekend, you may be with people who know the Lord, you may be with people who do not. If it comes up in the office on Tuesday, what did you do for Thanksgiving? What did you folks say you were thankful for? Over the next week, would you just be ready? If the moment comes to say, you know what I'm thankful for? 
thankful for my church and my family has just found a home and it's helped us stay together and I'm just so thankful. I prayed to Jesus, you know that? And he healed me. That's what I know. Look, that's what these people did. They just told people. But Dr. Vanna gets so nervous about witnessing because what if they start bringing up this objection and this objective? What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Folks, say to them, look them straight in the eye and say to them, I don't know. Right? I'm paid to stand in front of graduate students. And there are moments when a question comes to me from a classroom where I have to say, well, I don't know. So as embarrassing as that is for me, and actually it's sort of a good thing, you can do it too. So look, oh, that's really good. I, I don't know, but I'll tell you what I do know. Jesus healed me. Look, I, I don't know. What, what if they, but Dr. Van, what if they keep pressing me? Okay, look. Say, look, I don't know, but I know somebody who does. Here's Pastor Jonathan Smith's home phone number. 24-7. No, sorry, kidding about that, of course. Give the cell number. Because you don't want to be, you know, bothering Shelley and the boys, right? So, so the cell number. Folks, don't get so uptight about it. God's done something for you. You're a sign. And if the Lord gives, okay, are we in on this? Next week, in this next week, something comes up related to Thanksgiving or God just gives us an opportunity. And as I've done with my neighbors in the past, I'm going to say, okay, Lord, you give me the opportunity. Just tell them what the Lord has, has done. It's Thanksgiving, and our Thanksgiving is meant to be shared. <laughs> Shall we pray together? Father, as you have given us signs, and as we have become signs, may we be faithful, Lord, we pray. For your kingdom is coming, and we want others to be a part of it too. Pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.